0: Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church, or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow
1: God to speak to you through this week's message. So you know, we've learned the last four months that God created an astounding universe and a paradise to share with human beings. We learn that human beings are his image bearers, that we are the reflection of God's nature and character. We also learn that we're rebels, that we rebelled against God and we sinned against him. And when we did, not only did we fall, but all of creation fell with us. We learn that God gave a promise to a man named Abraham. He started a, a process to turn it all around and to change it all. And Abraham and his offspring were the vessel that God used to begin to restore creation and humanity. We learn that God formed a nation from Abraham called Israel. And that this nation was to carry his promises forth into all the world. But you know what? They did the same thing Adam and Eve did. They rebelled and they turned from God and went their own way. And then God sent them these crazy guys in the Bible called prophets. And throughout the Old Testament, these prophets went to Israel went to Israel's leaders and they cried out to them and said, turn back to God and be restored. Sadly, they refused. And God sent them into slavery and allowed their enemies to overcome them and they were exiled. All of this led to God's plan from the beginning to personally rescue humanity and all of creation with humanity. God came to us personally in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And we learned that Jesus was full of grace and truth, fully God and fully man. Today, we're gonna learn that this Jesus had to die, be buried, and rise again from the dead to redeem and rescue us from the power of sin and death. This is the good news. This is what we call the gospel. Jesus died, was buried. Jesus rose, Jesus ascended, Jesus sent his Holy Spirit, gave us his Holy Spirit and said, go into all the world and do what I did. Now go tell them the good news. We don't have to be estranged from God anymore. We don't have to be enemies of God anymore. We can be the friends of God and the family of God because of what Jesus Christ did. Amen? Now to kind of set that up and illustrate. What I just told you, I have a video that I want you to see, and this is a Bible project video, and it's called The Messiah. I've shown it here before, but it's really powerful, and it captures the idea behind who Jesus is and what he accomplished. Let's show the video.
0: There's this crazy story at the beginning of the Bible. We have Adam and Eve, and they're in the Garden of Eden.
2: and Everything in this garden is great. It's exactly as it should be, except... There's this one tree that they're told by God not to eat from because it's dangerous and it will kill them. So that's it. Uh, Avoid this fruit tree and we're fine. Right. It seems pretty simple. But in this garden, there's a snake. And it starts telling a different story. It says that if you eat of this tree, it's not going to kill you. In fact, it's going to make you become like God. And Adam and Eve, they believe the snake and they eat the fruit. And because of this the goodness of the garden is tragically lost and evil and death enters into God's good world.
0: Now why is there a talking snake in the garden? I mean this thing is a
2: problem. Yeah, it's very strange. And even more strange is the fact that the Bible doesn't say why or how this thing even got there. It just presents the snake as this creature who's in rebellion against God and that wants to get other people to doubt God's goodness and lead them on a path towards death. And so whatever this snake is, it's the source of evil that pervades our world and our lives even still today. But there is
0: some hope because right here in the story god makes this really interesting promise to adam
2: and eve that someone is going to come in the future a son of eve and this guy's going to come and he's going to crush the serpent's head and destroy evil at its source however during this battle the serpent is going to bite this guy's heel
0: so it's like a mutual destruction
2: yeah it's this very strange but beautiful promise and it's just left hanging there until the next Key moment in the story when God singles out this guy named Abraham and says that through his family, goodness and blessing is going to be restored back to all of the nations of the world. And as we follow this family, we get to one of Abraham's great-grandsons, this guy named Judah. And he receives this promise that a king is going to come from his line, and that the whole world's going to follow this king, and he's going to bring peace and harmony, and there'll be lots of food and wine and milk and vineyards, and it's going to be awesome.
0: The first king that we meet from the line of Judah is a guy named King David. And he's a hero. Maybe he is the snake crusher.
2: But it turns out that David is infected with the same evil as the rest of humanity. He never crushes the snake, just the opposite. However, God makes a promise to David that this king is going to eventually come from his line. But as you go on in the story, one by one, each generation of his sons, they're just total Chumps! They give into the snake. They choose evil. They go after money and sex and power and following other gods.
0: Things get so bad that they run the nation of Israel right into the ground and the big bad empire of Babylon just
2: takes them out. And so now there are no more kings to even fulfill this promise. So it seems like the whole plan is lost. But during these dark days, there's this crazy group of guys called prophets and they just kept talking about this coming king and reminding us of the promise that he'll come, he'll defeat evil, he'll restore the garden. Now one specific prophet, Isaiah, he tells us more about why this king is bitten. Isaiah says that the promised king receives this wound because of humanity's evil and that it kills him. But then all of a sudden he comes back and Isaiah says it's because he suffered this wound that he can now become a source of healing to other people
0: but the old testament ends and the snake crushing
2: king that everyone's been talking about never shows up and this is why when the new testament begins it introduces us to jesus of nazareth not as some random guy but as someone who comes to fulfill these specific ancient promises
0: yeah we learn that he's from
2: the line of david judah and abraham and he goes around israel announcing that the goodness of god's kingdom is here now and he begins confronting the effects of evil on people by healing them by forgiving them of their sins and evil many people are now believing that this is in fact the promised king but jesus began telling his closest followers that he was going to become king and bring peace by taking the full effect of humanity's evil into himself
0: the fatal snake bite
2: wound exactly And so it seems like the serpent wins. And this story actually would be a tragedy except for what happens next. Jesus rises from the dead.
0: And now Jesus has the power over evil and death for himself.
2: And so the rest of the New Testament is then making this claim that Jesus' power over evil and death has now become available to us to begin confronting the effects of evil in our lives.
0: But even still death and evil are a real problem in our world all around us.
2: And so the story of the Bible ends by describing this future day when Jesus comes back and he finishes the job. He destroys the snake once and for all and he restores the goodness of the garden here on earth.
1: Hey Amen. Isn't hey. that a powerful video? It really captures where I want to go today and what I want to share with you. And I want to start by reading my key key text from the Scripture. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in the New Testament. It's verses 3 through 6. And I want to do something a little bit different. I want to ask you to read it with me out loud. So I'll read it from my Bible, but you'll see it up here on the screen. And I'm going to ask you to do something that the church has done throughout its history, and that is the public reading of Scripture out loud. So let's read the Scripture together. Okay, so I want to hear you. Okay, that means I want to hear you. That's mumbling. That's not reading. So no mumbling. you got to read it with me. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So at the time that Paul wrote this, there were people who had personally seen Jesus rise from the dead who were still alive. And he's making the point that Jesus wasn't just seen by his disciples. He was seen by over five. And in that text, he points out to us what we might call the simple gospel. Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, he was raised, and he was seen, and there were witnesses to this. Now, why is that necessary? You know, many times when we look at what Christianity is or what the gospel is, people come to this point in the story where they ask the question, why did he have to die? And and that's really important for us to, uh, to understand. We have to understand why Jesus died on a cross and why that took care of our issues, why that ultimately became the means. It's strange. It became the means of us being reconciled to God. A bloody torturous death makes us right with God and that's what I want to look at today and I want to walk you again through the same story that was on the video and what we've been studying as we've been looking at the scripture and that is this overall story of why we need a savior so the first point is simple sin and death entered our world through Adam's sin Adam sinned and now we're dealing with the consequences of that personally death came to humanity in the Garden of Eden because of disobedience. Listen to Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now if you've ever read the story, one of the things that you notice right away is that Adam doesn't eat the fruit and Eve doesn't eat the fruit, and then both of them go and fall down on the ground, foaming and going into convulsions, and then die. Death actually comes much later. Adam lives to over 900 years old. And we see in his life that death was something that began at that moment, and the death began with the breaking of fellowship, because ultimately, the greatest definition of death is separation. Why do we fear death? Why is it that when we think about losing a family member or a friend or we experience that, why is it it affects us so deeply? Because there's separation. We can't talk to him anymore, we can't be with him anymore. Well, when Adam partook of the fruit, the scripture says his eyes were open. he recognized he was naked, and he immediately fled from God and hid in the trees, and they took fig leaves and sewed them on and covered themselves. So right from the beginning we see a separation take place, and relationship and fellowship is broken and hindered. And that's ultimately the death that, all, that, that resulted in physical death. Because see, the reason you and I die is because sin came in And spiritually, we died. And so it takes a new birth, it takes a new beginning, new life to come into us from God for us to be able to experience eternal life. Does that make sense? Secondly, because of sin, we die and we return to the ground. Genesis 3.19, by the sweat of your face, this is after Adam and Eve had sinned and God's confronting Adam and confronting Eve and confronting the serpent. And he says to Adam, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. So we see that because of sin, they experienced what it meant to die. Also because of sin, there is now a time to die. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 and 2 says, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. So the idea that sin set in motion times and seasons of birth and death are the consequence of what Adam and Eve did. Next, sin and death entered the world through Adam and then spread to all of humanity because we all Sin. Romans 5.12 says this, a really powerful text. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So the idea is, is that Adam is the federal head of humanity. And I'll explain what I mean by that. He is the symbolic head, the federal head, the overall beginning of the tree, as it were. And from his life comes life to all humanity. And if he had obeyed God, we would be the recipients of that obedience. But because he disobeyed God, sin came into him. And through the the normal ways that children are conceived and people come into this world, sin is spread via the bloodline to all humanity. And it sits in us. And Initially, it just kind of sits in us like a seed. It's not activated until we ourselves choose to sin. And there comes a time in our life when all of us at some age, and I don't know what that age is because the Bible doesn't give it, but at some time in our life as we come to know the difference between good and evil and right and wrong, there comes a point in our life where we partake of evil just like Adam and Eve. We reach out and take a hold of that fruit on the tree and when we imbibe it, we experience the beginning of death. And that's what happens to every human being. And then what's the paycheck we get for eating that? Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. So what happens is we sin throughout life, and the ultimate end of that sin is death. Not just physical death, but if something doesn't intervene and cut off us working for sin, ultimately even spiritual death, separation. And so all people then are appointed to die. And then be judged. Look at Hebrews 9.27. It'll be on the screen here. It says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And so we know that we sin, we die, sin spreads from generation to generation to generation, and every generation ends up sinning. I mean, I just want to ask, is there anybody in here that's never sinned? I'm looking. Because... That baby over there, yeah. Because if you raised your hand, you just sinned and you lied, right? So then we're just gonna have to pray for you, right? So we, we understand that, that what happens is we go through life, we die, and then we face judgment. We stand before our Creator. And either we'll stand before our Creator on our own, we'll stand before Him in our own righteousness, and we'll try to make our case. And we will fail miserably because the standard of God and the standard of of heaven is perfection. And you might be, what? Yes. You see, if you try to stand before God on your own, you will find that His standard is perfection. And He'll look at you and simply say, you know, you've broken my laws, you've broken my commandments, and and, uh, you can't be in this presence. But if you stand before Him... Claiming what someone who was perfect did on your behalf, now your plea is, hey, Father, it's Jesus. Right? You point to Jesus, and that's what takes us to the New Testament. Jesus bursts on the scene, and we find that the death and the resurrection of Jesus is what defeated sin and defeated death. The crucifixion and death of Jesus leads to our forgiveness. I mean, listen to Luke chapter 23, verse 33 and 34, and verse uh, just 33 and 34. Listen to this. It says, And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide His garments. Now, think about this. Jesus is hanging on the cross at the place called the skull, appropriate, the place of death. And as He's hanging there, He's between two criminals. And I think the symbolism is powerful. He's between two criminals. He's between you and me, right? And as He hangs on that cross between those two criminals, He looks out over all of the people that are crucifying Him, the Roman government. The Jewish religious system, all the individuals that are around him, a couple of criminals that are hanging on the cross, one that he ends up dying in the place of, Barabbas. He's, he's up there hanging on that cross, and all of the people, but not just those people, from Adam all the way to Z. From A to Z, every human being that will ever be born, ever live on planet Earth. He's looking out over the vast sea of humanity. He's looking out at you. He's looking at at me. And he's saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And we know that from the power of the cross and the declaration of Jesus, humanity can be forgiven. I think that's powerful. And then we find that Jesus' death on the cross destroyed the power of death. So we know we die. But it's what actually, this is the ironic thing. Death destroys death. Death breaks the power of death. And it releases us from bondage that comes from the fear of death. Hebrews 2.14. And I shared this text last week. It'll be up on the screen. 2.14 and 15. Because God's children are human beings, that's you and me, made of flesh and blood, Jesus also became flesh and blood by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way could he deliver those who've lived all their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So we see here that we can be delivered from the fear of death when we understand he already went there for us. He's passed through there. He's going to hold our hand through it and it's only temporary. Death is only temporary. Amen. And then we learn that Jesus' resurrection from the dead conquered death ultimately and guarantees our own resurrection. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 20 and 21. You still with me? 1 Corinthians 15, 20 and 21. But the fact is that Christ has been raised from the dead. He has become the first of a great harvest of those who will be raised to life again. So you see, just as death came into the world through Adam, a man, Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, Christ. So Adam was the federal head of the first part of humanity. And Jesus is the federal head of a new kind of humanity. He's the second and the last Adam, and he's the one who comes on our behalf to begin creation again. You see, Jesus, excuse me, Adam was in a garden, a beautiful paradise garden, and there at a tree, he sinned. And then he was kicked out of the garden, and a way was blocked back into the garden. Now we see about the second Adam, the last Adam, Jesus. You know what he did? He went to a garden. And there he prayed until he sweat great drops of blood. And then he was taken to a hill and crucified on a, what Peter calls a tree. He calls the cross the tree. He's connecting the symbolism. So Jesus is crucified on a tree. Adam and Eve fell at a tree. Jesus is crucified at a tree. And then his body is taken. And where is it taken? It's taken to a garden and it's put in a tomb and the tomb is barred and closed shut with a rock but then what does Jesus do to inaugurate a new creation and to begin things all over again he rises from the dead rolls the stone back steps out of the tomb the way is no longer barred and he says I begin anew I'm the new Adam and now you come to me not by bloodline but you come to me by faith in me what I've done in my death my burial my resurrection has redeemed everything that fell in the garden and now in a garden I start a new creation and all who trust in me can rise with me. See, Jesus' resurrection gives us new life and ultimately triumph over death. The scripture teaches we can now be born again through the resurrection of Jesus. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 1.3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now think about that. We fell, death came in, now we need new life. New life comes through the resurrection. We trust that Jesus has died and rose again on our behalf. We put our trust in His righteousness, not our own. We trust that He paid for us through His shed blood, not our own. And as we trust Him and His finished work and all that He's done, we rise with Him and God inserts the very life of the resurrection. What happened in the power of the resurrection, He puts it inside of you and me. That's what we call the new birth. Being born, again, if you've ever heard people throw that term around and never really describe it or explain it, here's what the new birth is. The new birth is God brings His life by His Holy Spirit into you and regenerates your inner person. And you start to live from the inside out as a new creature you have deposited in you the very life of God. And that life of God doesn't leave you. It doesn't come and go. It stays in you and works in you, making you hunger for God, hunger for truth, hunger for righteousness. And even though you might fall on your face a thousand times, you find you don't like your sin anymore, and it's miserable now, and you want to please God, and you get up over and over again, and you move toward the nature and the character of God because the nature and the character of God lives inside of you. So then through that, we're rightly related to Jesus, and when we're rightly related to Jesus, we're given new life, and we're given assurance that we'll be raised later. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, and 23, and I know I'm going through a lot of scripture today, but I feel like I need to in order for you to see the whole story. Look at this text up here, verses 22 and 23 in the New Living Translation. It says, everyone dies because all of us are related to Adam, the first man. But all who are related to Christ, the other man, will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised first. Then when Christ comes back, all his people will be raised. That's why the resurrection is so powerful, life-changing, life-transforming. Alan Walworth is is a pastor And he preached a sermon called Running Through the Cemetery, and he shares this story. He says, several years ago, on a Sunday before Easter in another city, I was struggling under how to try to preach the Easter message to all the varied people who would gather. How do I tell that news? I was out with my children, wanting to take some quality time with them, but I was burdened under the sermon, and the kids were flitting away like butterflies on the loose, way down the road as we were walking through the neighborhood. Suddenly... They called out my name. A shield went up a little. A wall went up. And they said, Daddy, can you do this? I looked, and my kids were skipping along the road. Yeah, I can do that, I said. And I went back to pondering this theological treatise. And they said, No, Daddy, can you? I mean, really, can you go skipping? We've never seen you. Well, of course I can go skipping. Everybody's been skipping. Well, you know what they said next and show us well I hate to be beaten by kids but I couldn't go skipping I'm an adult and I have a doctorate degree and I pastor first church and we have members who live in this neighborhood neighborhood associations are worried enough when a preacher moves into town it makes prices volatile in the neighborhood but if he goes skipping around through the neighborhood that does it I couldn't do that and then what did they say Na, 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 you can't do it. So I looked around, then I did it. I can't remember why I ever stopped skipping as a child. It's not hard on your knees. It's easier than jogging, and you can get a lot of distance. Maybe it's because adults just aren't that happy anymore. They're not that carefree. Unless they get a hold of Easter. Unless Easter gets a hold of them. See, when you begin to understand that Jesus has really risen from the dead and he's beaten death and he's beaten sin and you, you, know, you get that inside of you, there's a joy inside of you. I'm not talking about a superficial happiness. I'm talking about a deep, abiding joy that knows that no matter what happens, No matter what you suffer, no matter what you lose, no matter how bad things turn in your life, ultimately, that's not the end of the story. There is a risen Savior, and He's carrying you in His train, and you too are gonna come back from the dead, whatever your death is in your life. Amen? Now, I thought about that, and I thought, you know, we need to learn how to skip again. Can't you see it now? Instead of people around Moses Lake jogging in the morning, can't you see it? You're driving down the road, and all of a sudden you look over, and... (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great? No, you'd think they were crazy. But it would be our little secret. We would all know the code. Ah... The resurrection got into them. He's alive, and they're alive with him. Amen? See, when Jesus returns, those of us who have trusted him will rise again and will be transformed into glorious beings. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I'm going to read a text, and then I'm going to take a little bit of time and mess some of your theology up. I'm hoping today before you leave here that some of you that have come up with some wrong ideas about eternity and life and what's to come will have that adjusted and see it in a new light. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 51 through 57, listen to this, but let me tell you a wonderful secret God has revealed to us. Not all of us will die, Oh, but we will all be Transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blinking of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, the Christians who have died will be raised with transformed bodies. And then we who are living will be transformed so that we will never die. For our perishable earthly bodies must be transformed into heavenly bodies that will never die. When this happens, when our perishable earthly bodies have been transformed into heavenly bodies that will never die, then at last the scriptures will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. How we thank God who gives us victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now here's the secret, there's going to come a day when Jesus Christ will return a second time and when he does, if you're alive and you believe in him, at that moment you'll be caught up, your body will change and you'll be conformed into a new kind of body, a glorified body that will never die and never corrupt. And if you've already died, and your body was laid in a grave, dust went back to dust, and you returned to the earth from where you came, that body will be called forth with a powerful resurrection life. The same power that raised Jesus will raise up your body from the dead. I don't know how it will work. I don't understand how it all comes back together. I know there's a lot of questions, but I know this. You're going to receive a glorified body that will never age, never die, never get sick, never grow weary we'll never cry again from a war, we'll never again be concerned about an amber alert, we'll never again worry about a loved one dying from cancer, we'll never again have to deal with the sudden call in the middle of the night that someone that you love took their life or was involved in a car accident whatever the circumstances may be it will never ever again happen and you will be glorified now better than that Even better, well, not not better than that, but along with that. And this is where I'm going to mess up some of your theology. We won't be in heaven. Uh Uh-oh. See, a lot of us have been taught that when we die, we're going to go to heaven for eternity. That's not what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches that heaven is a temporary place until the new heavens and the new earth. And then the scripture teaches that heaven is going to come to earth. The new Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God, is actually going to set up shop on a new earth. And heaven and earth are gonna be married and the veil that has been over this planet because of sin is gonna be removed once for all time and the two of them are gonna meet and they're gonna marry and there's not gonna be this separation and this blindness anymore. It's going to be removed once for all time and we're gonna dwell in a new heavens and a new earth that's completely restored in glorified bodies with God, with Jesus in a glorified body forever and all eternity. And I don't know if that means that we'll get to discover other planets. I don't know if we'll be able to fly. don't know. I just know it's going to be amazing. And if you say to me, well, you know, that sounds like a fantasy book or that sounds like science fiction or let me just say this to you. I believe the innate story in every human heart The greatest stories, the stories that impact us the deepest, the stories of magic and powers that go beyond our understanding, the stories of, you know, the the great stories of of love and separation and death for redemption, all the stories that move us, all the stories through all history, the epic stories, the stories of, of new worlds and new places, all of that is because we know innately, we know deep in our knower that this isn't all there is. And there's more to come. And we yearn for it. And so that yearning, that knowing deep within us causes us to write the great stories, dream the big dreams, make the great epic movies because we know deep inside there's a true story coming one day. And all these other stories are just shadows, but that's the substance. It's the story of a father and his son and a man and a woman and a serpent and death And a great war and battle for all the ages. And finally, the only way it can all be fixed is a son has to die for his bride. And as he dies for his bride and pays the price for his bride, he comes back to life and he crushes the power of darkness. And he gathers the bride and the bride in the Bible is the church. And they dwell forever and ever for eternity. Right? And it all was happy. They lived happily ever That cry in our spirit, that cry in our soul is real. It's the echo of the true story. Does that make sense? So because of all this, because Jesus rose again and will rise again and there will be a new heavens and a new earth, we can live with great enthusiasm and we can work hard for the Lord. We have purpose now. You see, let me tell you something. If you're hoping that your retirement if you're hoping the house you live in, if you're hoping the relationships that you're in, if you're hoping that all your dreams for the future are going to be what ultimately satisfy you and make you happy, you're going to be disappointed. Because you know, something always goes a little wrong. Have you ever noticed that? Right? We, we make these great plans and something undoes them. Stuff goes wrong. Why? We live in a fallen place that's still got the curse of sin on it. And we're broken people ourselves. And and so I'm not saying we don't strive to make the world a better place. That's why we pray your kingdom come, your will be done. And his kingdom is here right now and it's working. But let me tell you something. All of your hopes and dreams will ultimately be disappointed if you put them in temporal things. And that's why people get cynical. Are you listening to me? That's why people get cynical. People get cynical because they look around our world and they see all the death I spoke of. They see all the pain I spoke of. They see everything go wrong. People betray them, turn their backs on them. Relationships fail. Marriages fail. People die. All those things happen. And we find ourselves looking at the world and we say things like, how could a good God ever let this happen? A good God let it happen because he loved us so much that he let us choose and he let us experience the consequences of doing life our own way. But he pled with us, he begged us, he sent prophets to us. He tells us in the scripture, gee, he came himself as a man. And what did we pay him back with? Crucifixion. Does that prove it or what? But in all of that, in all of that, the reality, the underlying reality is there is a world yet to come. There are things that are being made. And even right now, what you do counts for eternity. It's echoed in eternity every kind act, every water given in every glass of water given in His name, every kind act, every time you go to your job and you don't feel like being there but you do the right thing and you you give your best at your job, every time you change a poopy diaper mommies and you're like oh that's nasty but you recognize this child is a gift from God and you change that poopy diaper every time you help a neighbor, every time you do the right thing when you could have done the wrong thing, every time you bring a little bit more of the kingdom of heaven to earth and it counts and it matters and it works and it's not in vain come on am i talking to anybody you see you see this idea that you know what i'm sharing with you about the the new world to come is just some kind of pie in the sky that makes you you know so heavenly minded you're no earthly good that's baloney the more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you will be. Because you understand, what I'm doing right now counts. It echoes into eternity. It works into eternity. It's going to affect my eternity. What I do right now matters. And that's why the scripture tells us, and I want you to see the text, 1 Corinthians 15:58. Because Jesus rose again, and we will rise again. And a new world's coming. We can live with great enthusiasm, and we can work hard for the Lord. Look at this. First Corinthians 15, 58, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and steady, always enthusiastic about the Lord's work, for you know, can we read this out loud together? I want you to say it as though you believed it. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Now, what you do for the Lord doesn't just mean spiritual stuff. It doesn't just mean church on Sunday and when you're sitting at your house reading your Bible. It means every act in your life, other than sin, obviously, every act in your life can be done unto the Lord. And none of it is useless. It all counts. It all matters. It's all important. Why not you stand with me?